Did you break it already? I didn't, I didn't break it. Okay, it's just it's out of juice. I have to recharge it. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. to the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong my name is alex and i am joined as always by my co-host my co-friend the green to my lantern julio julio how you doing today i'm doing very well not yellow at all you're not filled with fear nope i am i'm willfully happy uh that we're finally doing this movie because uh i think it was it was due just like it's very timely because we we're doing this just as Ryan Reynolds is experiencing a renaissance in his career, a Reynoldsons, a Reynoldsons. <laughs> I like it. Hashtag Reynoldsons. Uh, because of Deadpool, mm-hmm. uh, a superhero slash antihero movie uh, that's been that's proven to be extremely successful. surpassed. I think all expectations. Yes, other than hardcore Deadpool fans, I don't think anybody was expecting it to do it really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Deadpool fans knew that there was this was a gold mine, and so did Green Lantern fans, who have known since 2011 that Ryan Reynolds could carry a superhero movie. Absolutely. On the other side of the superhero coin here, um, not Marvel, but DC, um, light is day, dark is night. It was the Green Lantern that we visited from the summer of 2011, starring the aforementioned Ryan Reynolds. Um Bit of a mixed bag of nuts here. It didn't really do too well at the box office or with the critics. Um, oh, it didn't do well. That's, there's nothing mixed about the critics' reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, they. It's an almost universal trouncing. They got. Uh, let me read you a few of these uh, negative reviews. Will Leitch from Deadspin. Deadspin says this is a blue light special version of a superhero movie. This is what happens when they go wrong. This is what happens when they don't care. I think he was a Green Lantern fan that, yeah. that didn't like the few changes that they made to the story. Uh, Philippa Hawker from The Age, in parentheses, Australia, says, The green aesthetic misfires. The whole film looks as if it's been inspired by a particular shade of washing up liquid or the glowing screens of ancient computers. She went into a movie called Green Lantern, and then she was bothered by the green palette in the movie. <laughs> I think that she just was not into the movie from the beginning. 
Sean Means from Salt Lake Tribune says, not even Ryan Reynolds' charm, which pours out of the actor like water over Niagara Falls, can overcome Oof. the lumpy narrative and special effects overkill. Uh, Charles Kaplinsky from Illinois Times says, Lantern proves it's not easy being green. Boo. <laughs> it's not easy being a movie critic, apparently, because you have to come up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, no shit. And then uh, Brett Michael. No, Brett Michelle. Brett from, Michaels. <laughs> yeah, no, it's missing an A and an S. Brett Michelle from Boston, Boston Phoenix says, A portal game could be made out of how many times the word fear is uttered in Martin Campbell's superhero franchise non-starter. I think he missed the, the fact that, you know, this is... It's a thematic thing, mm -hmm. and I will talk about this later. Jason Solomons from Observer UK says, The latest movie, Scrape from the Barrel, where studio execs stored their childhood comic collections. And finally, Christian Toto from What Would Toto Watch? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it says, Green Lantern uses so much CGI, it's a wonder anyone bothered bringing a camera to the set. Hmm. It's no worse than 300, anything like that. And everybody loves that movie. I know. Yeah. I know, right? Um, so Green Lantern kicks off. We have a, a soliloquy and it basically a very comprehensive backstory to the Green Lantern Corps right, right off the bat. Um, there are 3,600 Green Lanterns that monitor their squadron. There was one abandoned, uninhibited uh squadron that i believe the they had locked up uh, their arch nemesis at parallax he was basically cemented into the planet but he found some people visiting his planet and was able to harvest their fear and he was able to free himself so uh, off the back there's that there's a word so philip is not going to like a review because fear is going to come up <laughs> a lot during um we're basically given an entire film's worth of story in the first two minutes of the movie, which, you know, I think a lot of people could find that very jarring and confusing. But to me, it just shows the filmmakers' confidence in their audience. Yeah, and also they they understand that you can't make a Green Lantern movie without really delving into the mythology of the character. And you can't just do the mythology justice using shying away from, from narration and, and, you know, this sort of prologue. Uh, so they, they just went for it and they used the resources really well because they could have easily cast Morgan Freeman to do the, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the narration, the voiceover. But they already had Jeffrey Rush doing the voice for another character. So they just used Jeffrey Rush to double narrate. up. Yeah. You already have him there under contract. He can't run anywhere. So just have him record this. So one of the Green Lanterns, uh, one of the core is Abin Sir that we're first introduced to. And he... Uh, is attacked by Parallax. Parallax gets off this planet and attacks Abinster on his ship. Um, he, like, claws him and rips part of his shoulder off. And Abinster, he knows the score. He knows things aren't good. So he gets in his ship and he reports back to the rest of the Corps that he's heading to the next inhibitable planet um, and he's going to pass off the ring to a chosen one. Yeah, it's a... Uh... This is, I mean, we're maybe five minutes into the movie or so, and this is all being outer space. And I think that it's worth kind of like setting the table, like the, what it was like in 2011 in the movie landscape, because we didn't have superhero movies in space. Like right now, yeah, sure, but it's like, oh, well, Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor mm -hmm. and whatever, you know, and but but back then it was a little more rare. Even the Fantastic Four movie, and they're which we loved. Oh yeah. But but it didn't really take them out of planet Earth. No. And Fantastic Four, the Fantastic Four are famous for being 
Cosmic Explorers. Mm-hmm. Now, this movie did what Marvel didn't have balls to do back then, and they just went for the cosmic setting. They start in outer space. Right. And I understand because it's expensive, and especially it's a character like Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps that they need all the special effects mm-hmm. for everything. But but I think that, again, shows confidence from the filmmaker. And uh, you got to keep up because it, it just it hits the ground running. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, like, information, exposition coming at you in fun ways, but it's also relentless. And Parallax is just growing in size and girth uh, by the second as this is going on. Um, but Abin Sir, you know, he says, you know, something to the effect of, you know, may God have mercy on us and the next recipient of the ring. May he be a chosen one. And, of course, you know, to get the little wink and nod at the can- the audience, we cut to a smoking hot blonde in bed, and Ryan Reynolds wakes up in his underwear, and he's late for work. Uh, this is our first introduction to Hal Jordan. He he's certainly a recluse who doesn't play by anybody's rules. Yeah, he is. He's he is. He might be the reason why the movie didn't do well, and it's not his fault. It's just that I am sorry, comic book fans, but sometimes you can be a little too uptight. When it comes to characters that work a certain way in a comic book, and they need to work a different way in a movie, mm-hmm. so, much like Taylor Kish was the perfect gambit. Well, yeah, you know, Taylor, I understand Taylor Kish on a comic book page that doesn't work, mm-hmm. but when you see him moving on a big screen, that's gambit. Exactly. He was Remy LeBeau. He was climbing those those walls like he doesn't do in the comics. That's how. That's what's called an adaptation. You adapt the material. You're not just copying it. <laughs> So that's the same thing that happens here with Hal Jordan, who becomes Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, his character here, it's not the first person you would think as a worthy recipient of one of the most powerful weapons in the universe. He He's Van Wilder. He's Ryan Reynolds here. But sorry, people, that's what fucking sells. It is what fucking sells. But also, it's you need, unlike comic books, where you, you kind of tell the same story over and over because it's episodic or whatever. Uh, here, in a movie, you need a character arc. Mm-hmm. You can't have a character arc if Ryan Reynolds is perfect from the very beginning. Yeah. So you have to kind of tweak the design and say, okay, well, the ring's going to choose him, but not for the obvious reason. So instead of the ring going to somebody that's automatically the perfect hero, it's going to this guy that's flawed but has the potential to be a hero because that way... That way you have a movie. Otherwise, it's just boring. You're just going to have Captain Perfect you know, finishing the problem in half an hour. It's like we were talking about while we were watching this. It's what made Spider-Man 3 perfect was that they added a wrinkle to Peter Parker. Because yes, it can't just you be finally, vanilla milk toast. Yeah. Yes. You, you finally got to see his dark side, mm-hmm. which the other two movies completely ignored. Yeah. It was it was refreshing to finally be able to do something, you know, get something from Peter Parker than, than feeling sorry for him. You finally, you were like, oh, wow, this is interesting. He dances. <laughs> So, yeah, Hal Jordan is not, you know, what the core would imagine being the the model recipient of the ring. But, you know, he's here to get the job done. He is a pilot, uh, a fighter pilot, a test pilot, as it were. He reports to duty. Um, He reports for duty early in the morning. He's late. He's wrapping a gift on the way there. You can tell this guy's life's just kind of in shambles. He's wrapping it in the newspaper. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) he arrives on site. It uh, looks like his commanding officer is uh, played by Blake Lively, who is uh, Carol Ferris uh, for Ferris Aircrafts. And basically what they're doing is they're testing out a new military uh, line of fighter jets, and they're just trying to see if they can outrun them. Um, it's kind of confusing because it's all kind of thrown together haphazardly, but basically what we learn from this is that uh, Hal's dad was also a pilot and died in a plane crash. 
um, and that Hal, while extremely talented in his field and has a lot of potential, he can get in his own way a bit with his uh, ego and prima donnaism. Yeah, I mean, it, it's there's a lot more impressive and interesting stuff coming down the line, but I don't want to sell short the sequence because really, in about 10 minutes of jet, fla- uh, jet plane flying, uh, you really... I think Martin Campbell, the director, he kind of uh, out Top Gun's Top Gun. Uh, and he didn't need Tom Cruise to do it. He didn't need Val Kilmer. All he needed was Blake Lively and uh, Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. flying around, escaping these robot uh, – because they're kind of like drones. The, the, yeah. These these planes are not being manned by men. They're just kind of computer uh, – Program to just follow them and yeah, Reynolds figure out how to figures out how to uh, uh, outmaneuver them, and then once he's defeated them, he chokes yeah. because he has flashbacks to the death of his father, played by as we said, the poor man's uh, Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler, which proves that sometimes you don't need to get an all star cast mm-hmm. when you can find somebody that looks kind of close to an all star. And yeah, Ryan Reynolds' sidekick here is the C list IT uh, group. <laughs> yep, yeah, they're all. You just need to get them close enough, mm-hmm. and and then they once you have them there, they deliver. I mean, uh, poor man's Kyle Chandler. He only gets that one flashback, but he nails it. He I does. was tearing up by the end when he he blows up in his plane. Uh, and despite the flashback being only to 1993, the style at the time was very 1970s. Uh, it was one of my favorite tropes used in film. Uh, they did that with the Nightmare on Elm Street remake several years ago, where the flashbacks were to 1996. But for whatever reason, the characters were dressed as 50s characters. So you know. Just kind of a are you paying attention moment by the director. Yeah, but in, in the Green Lantern, I think it's even better uh, justified because it's based on a comic that's been running for decades. So, oh, okay. so he's not flashing back to his life; he's flashing back to the comic. Mm-hmm. In, Proper in, homage, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, because of this crash, it somehow makes the local news, uh, and they have the name of the pilot and. Hal is going to his nephew's birthday party, and right away there's some family issues. That you can tell he's an outcast in every sense, in every aspect of his life. Um, his nephew does love him, though. Uh, his nephew's his biggest fan. We find out what he was wrapping was the, the birthday gift for his nephew. It was a little model airplane. Um, so he doesn't stick around too long at his nephew's birthday party, and on his way out, um, this big orb comes and picks him up and transports him to we don't know where, but it's where Abin Sir had crash-landed, um, and he basically is there, dying, waiting, and when Hal shows up, he tells him, you know, the ring chose you, and Ryan Reynolds has no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that if people hadn't been so busy griping about the fact that, oh, well, this is not the way the comic book was, they would have realized that in the movie, at least, the ring chooses Hal Jordan, not because he's the bravest or because he's the noblest. It chooses him because clearly he is somebody that can take things in stride really well. Mm-hmm. He gets wrapped by this green orb and flies across the city. And then he's basically deposited right in front of a de- dying alien. <laughs> and he takes it really well. He does. He he manages the situation. He can roll with the punches. He he seems just like another Wednesday night to him. He he cracks a couple of jokes, tries to save the guy's life. He does not panic for a second. He instantly, he's pretty cool with the idea that now there's aliens in, in his mm-hmm. life. And I think that's obviously a key quality for a Green Lantern. If you're going to freak out every time you see an alien, you're not cut out for the job. Because as we find later... There's like lots of aliens that are green lanterns, yeah. so um, I and think that's that's the main reason he got chosen. And it shows his humane and also survivalist side to him. That uh, when Abin Sir dies, he he buries him, 
because he, he, he says I can't I couldn't just leave him there so again you know for seeing the first human the first alien life form ever seen by humankind he takes this in stride pretty well he keeps his shit together yeah. I wouldn't be able to bury uh, a man that just died in front of me no, let alone an alien much less a, a purple alien um, yeah but you can tell it's that kind of traits that is going to make him why the ring chose him so to speak the dying wish of Aben Sir is take the ring, say the oath. Uh, it's at this point in time, Hal's kind of confused as to what the oath could potentially be. While all this is going on, you know, this uh, period of reflection and trying to understand, we're introduced to, we don't know it yet, but our antagonist, our heel of the film, and Dr. Hector Hammond, uh, played by the incomparable Peter Sarsgaard. We're introduced to him. He's putting, it looks like, uh, tuna on crackers and then splashing Tabasco on it. Um, we don't get any real backstory to him. It's just the government shows up at his doorstep. You don't need backstory uh, in for the a receding hairline, mustachioed <laughs> Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah, Peter Sarsgaard's performance just says it all. You don't need anything else. He, he just—you can tell from the very beginning. This guy is unhappy, <laughs> unsuccessful, and he has a huge chip on his shoulder. Yeah. We don't know the specifics yet, but you can just tell from the very beginning. And I. I think the biggest victim of uh, of just the indifference and the hatred towards this movie is uh, uh, our guy Peter Sarsgaard because mm-hmm. he clearly gave its he gave his all to this movie uh, out of everybody there because he got the character that was in a way the richest to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't shy away from physical transformation and from really going out there. Uh, you know Reynolds. He's still he is playing the hero, even though it's a flawed hero. He's just he's still looking pretty and and getting to like make jokes and and be heroic. Uh, and so that's pretty much everybody else in the cast. Mm-hmm. But uh, but with Peter Sarsgaard, things have to get ugly. And they do quick. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. this first scene is really paramount because you get to see basically. Like I said, we're not giving too much backstory on Hector Hammond, but you get to see the um his naive nature and also this kind of the uh oafness and kind of cuteness that is abound him when he answers the door it's uh i had direct flashbacks to road trip when dj qualls opens the door and says what do you guys want um (laughs) so he is taken because you know we can it's just uh respecting your audience's intelligence it's just you know understanding you know if we present this guy as a big deal, they're going to get it right away. So we are presented that he is this top-of-the-line scientist they bring in to do the autopsy on the alien that they find. So we don't really need a backstory. We know that it's someone that the fucking government knows who he is and trusts. So they throw him right in the fire, and he performs this autopsy on Abin Sir as he was discovered at the scene of the crash. Um, interestingly enough, they didn't really do anything with his ship. Well... I I think and this actually that's a this a perfect moment to to make this point. They were saving a lot of stuff for the sequels, and it's your fault, America, that we didn't get those sequels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the character uh, Angela Bassett plays Amanda Waller. She is a big part of the DC universe. She is uh, the, the the person behind the Suicide Squad. We're about to get a Suicide Squad movie, but of course, Angela Bassett's not going to be part of it because they already wasted that card in Green Lantern. But if if America, so that's actually... just it, huh? <laughs> There's just some kind of Suicide Squad. Yeah. 
that's 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 all on you, America. You could have had uh, Amanda Waller played by Angela Bassett on many more movies if you had supported this one. Just like, and we probably... could have had Peter Sarsgaard in more movies. Period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Generally, if you hadn't like crushed his dreams uh, when you didn't support his performance here, uh, but Angela Bassett, uh, Evan Source, uh, Ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, let's not even get into what happens later in the movie that also sets up the, the sequels that will never happen now. Oh, yeah. Um, so as soon as we're introduced to the kind of lovable oaf that is Hector Hammond, uh, things done go bad as he's performing this autopsy. And because Parallax had struck Abin Sir, basically his blood is flowing through the body and... Um, in a scene that Prometheus would pretty much just carbon copy and take out, uh, Sarsgaard Hammond is infected with this blood, and it takes a pretty rapid effect on his body. You can trust a consummate performer like uh, Peter Sarsgaard to really pull this off. Mm-hmm. I think that this could have looked silly uh, with a lesser actor, but he can really go from shy, quiet, nerdy, Scientist. He has the one transition scene that we'll get to where he has a bit too much to drink, and it, and <laughs> right. that basically sends it into the right. But before that, all he has really is like this one, like really quick shot of him sweating in bed and not being able mm-hmm. to to fall asleep. And he could, you know, he was eating tuna with Tabasco, so it <laughs> right. Could have so just, you yeah. can't really blame the, the entirely the alien blood. It yeah. could have been just indigestion. <laughs> it could have been a mixture of things. Uh, back at Hal Jordan's. As I commented on, immaculate high-rise downtown waterfront apartment, um, and he has the lantern, and he's trying to figure out what the hell of the oath is, and he's going through basically, you know, every catchphrase he's ever heard, the Pledge of Allegiance uh, to Infinity and Beyond. You know, he's just trying to figure it out, and uh, he puts the ring on, and I believe he just kind of brushes it across the lantern, and uh, he locks eyes with it, and it's a moment of true clairvoyance, and. Um, as they would, as alcoholics would say, a moment of clarity, as he's able to, without any prior knowledge, he's able at that point in time to recite the Green Lantern's oath. Yeah, I I feel really, I actually feel sorry for the people that that did enjoy this movie. I I'm a comic book fan, mm-hmm. and I've read Green Lantern comics, and I got chills when I heard Hall Jordan really recite the oath, and and Ryan Reynolds's performance suddenly tones down because he's been clowning around but he gets really serious when he when he intones the oath and his eyes start glowing and it's just like the music and everything that's like badass and you're in the comics he was not ryan reynolds (laughs) well that's your loss uh there's a knock at the door after the oath is recited and lo and behold it is carol uh, ferris blake lively she's there and they just go out for a drink and it's at this point in time Prior to this, we weren't given any hinkling that they were romantically involved, correct? Right. You could sense the sexual tension mm-hmm. in, the, in the first scene. Because Both on screen and off. It, it was very real because this is where they became soulmates. Yeah. In the movie, and maybe it's because you see it happening. Like in Vanilla Sky, when when you see Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz falling in love for real while yeah. they're falling in love in the movie. Same thing here. Uh, except here, they're arguing a lot. But they're arguing like people that obviously you don't argue that much with somebody that you don't want to sleep with. Exactly. So that, that's, that's really what's happening there. And I I think that really we need to the Carol Carol Ferris character really strong female character oh, yeah. in in a genre that's usually well known for not treating female characters very well. 
never. She's not afraid to take charge. She takes charge never in the like what ninety minutes, two hours that this movie lasted. It's never, a while. Yeah, <laughs> never wears a skimpy outfit. Nope. Does not even doesn't get in bed with anyone. Uh, she's she's the entire time she keeps things real. She's very professional, um, and she doesn't make any stupid decisions because of Hal Jordan. Exactly. She's strong and assertive, but she uh, keeps. Of her femininity with a certain amount of regalness and class. It, it's very similar to the, the Robin Scherbatsky character in the Avengers films. Yes, which is also, you know, nobody talks about her mm-hmm. uh, because Marvel is more of a boys club. But DC was <laughs> DC was not afraid of, of just bringing women to the forefront. Another also, another uh, really loss because this didn't become a franchise starter because Carol Ferris in the movie in, in the comics, Carol Ferris becomes uh, a villain. She becomes really? I'm mistaken. Pretty sure she becomes a star sapphire at some point, and which is why her code name in the movie when they're like flying, her pilot code name is uh, Sapphire. Uh, okay, all this stuff and just like down the drain because people were just like oh, too much. The, the, I'm done with these superhero movies not being faithful to comics. I didn't delve too much into Green Lantern uh, as a youth and as a young adult um, because it was just a bit too much. Uh, but this was so... Too, too much green? You agree with too Philippa? Too much green. <laughs> uh, just uh, the story, you know, it was a bit too science fiction for me. So that's why I really appreciated this approach with with Blake Lively, with Ryan Reynolds, uh, with Tim Robbins, who we haven't even gotten to yet, a much more approachable version of the story and much more uh, suitable for a mainstream audience, which makes it all the more frustrating that um, we're not in a third, fourth, or fifth one by now. I mean, he would be. it would be Green Lantern versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. It wouldn't be Batman versus Superman. And I guarantee it would have been a better film. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> So on his way out of the bar, Hal is jumped by um, someone from the. Uh, he was a real dickhead too. The from Ferris Air, uh, Aircrafts, basically a gentleman who lost his job because Hal had crashed the plane earlier in the day, and um, he had a. He was a real throwaway character. He was basically one of the side-scrolling henchmen that you beat on Streets of Rage that just comes back for no reason. And with his posse, with, yeah, with his posse, and he's got his brother friend with him too, and they they <laughs> jump him and they're beating him up, and uh, Hal does a good job of defending himself, and he puts the ring on at this point. I think the ring he had already he had the ring on. Okay, he was yeah. already sporting it. Um, and so basically at this point in time, it's just the scene is meant as a device to explain to the audience the power of the ring. Because he takes a bucket of nails or bolts or something and swings it, and it turns into a giant galactic fist that knocks these three guys, you know, fifty feet away from the the scene of the impact. Another big nerdgasm moment because if you're a Green Lantern fan, uh, the the Hal Jordan Green Lantern that was his 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 construct of choice was the big the big fist, the the big overhand right. It, yes, <laughs> so so that's like. It, it's a movie that clearly shows its love for the source material, and the fact that people rejected it is just heartbreaking. After this, he is scooped up again by the mysterious green orb, and he is transported to the planet of Ow. How do you pronounce the the planet? I think it's Oa. Oa. Okay. Yeah. Um, and at this point in time, he becomes one of the Green Lantern Corps, and he is uh, adorned with the costume, the mask. Um, he kind of marks out seeing himself in his reflection, doing all these karate poses and whatnot. Um, at which point in time, uh, Tomar Ray, voiced by Jeffrey Rush, 
Our, uh, our narrator. Yes, exactly. Uh, pulling double duty was Mr. Rush. Uh, we're introduced to his character, and he basically starts showing, you know, he's the senior and Ryan Reynolds is the freshman. He's showing him the ropes of, uh, you know, what Green Lanterns do, what basically what the rest of his life is going to entail. Yeah, he takes him on a tour of uh, of Green Lantern High, and he shows <laughs> him all the different groups, and there's, like, the bugs and the really weird trolls and whatever there's all sorts of aliens and they're all green lanterns because mm-hmm. surprise surprise they're not all humanoid yeah. uh, humans are not the center of the earth and there was it's a brief moment but i think it's also it's worth pointing out that it just showcases diversity all across the universe mm-hmm. which harmony is harmony they're all working together they're pretty cool the fact that ryan reynolds again he's pretty cool with all of this he doesn't have some sort of nervous breakdown as most people would when they are confronted with the infinity of the galaxy and how much he could handle a there. dying alien. So he's just you know he... yeah now he's perfectly cool. He's just shaking hands and giving nods to all these really weird looking creatures that happen to be Green Lanterns, uh, and I think that that just shows him that he's ready for a Green Lantern boot camp. He's like uh, my friend who you've met, Chris Lemchi. It's just like. Man, if you if you put up any resistance, you're gonna miss life. So it's just you know, just, just go, go with, with flow. it. Yeah. Let let Jeffrey Rush show you around. If I know anyone that would be a Green Lantern, it would definitely be Chris <laughs> Lemchi. Mark Strong comes into the fray. He's been kind of in and out of the story, but with for the purposes of what we've gone over, he hasn't really done anything too important yet. Other um, than other than reveal that his name is Sinestro, which foul <laughs> Sinestro. Yeah, which is you in any other movie, I would say this is a little too on the nose. <laughs> That the guy named Sinestro, played by Mark Strong, you know he he's not up to uh, he's not the best character here, like as far as as his intentions maybe. Mm-hmm. But because it's Mark Strong, Mark Strong is such a good actor. I think you forget that his name is Sinestro, and you're like, oh no, this is just a conflicted Fall Sinestro, <laughs> and he is. Uh... Disguised as a very sunburnt John Dujardin, as we yes. discussed while watching it. Mark Strong, commanding presence, booming voice, much like Jeffrey Rush. There is no more booming voice or commanding presence than uh, our next gentleman that enters the fray, playing the character of Kilowag. Rest in peace. All praises be to the most high. Michael Clark Duncan. And, you know, th- there's. You don't know what you got till it's gone type of thing, because his, his voice work in this is just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, unlike Mark Strong uh, and more like Jeffrey Rush, this is just a voice performance because he's uh, he is a CGI construct here. He, there's no not that you could tell. I mean, the, the special effects here are so amazing that you believe that they actually found aliens and they got them to play characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Jeffrey Rush looks kind of like a fish and uh, a human with a fish head, yeah. and and Kilowog, Michael Clark Duncan, he. He's just like, like a, a giant, rhino or something. Yeah, it's a giant thing. That, uh, For the purposes of our story, though, he's basically the big linebacker, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is the, the young, good-looking quarterback that he's there to kind of protect. Yes, but first he has to give him some tough love. So. Oh, yes, and then what we go through here is basically um, you know, audience participation, fan interaction. We have the equivalency of a video game tutorial here where we go along with Hal Jordan learning how to use the ring, how to use the powers, how to fly. Um, It takes up a pretty solid portion of the film, but it's great because, you know, I was kind of sitting there moving along with them, learning how to do all these powers. If only all video game tutorials were as entertaining as this sequence uh, in in the movie, then I would enjoy video game tutorials a lot more. But uh, I think it was just... 
the fact that I was getting all the benefits and doing none of the work because I did not have the controller and not the tension of having to get everything right. I was just sitting there watching Ryan Reynolds get it get better mm-hmm. little by little. So that was that was very rewarding. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. We're back on Earth, and Hector Hammond is going a bit crazy. We find out his day job is he's a professor. Of course. Yeah. He's a professor. And he's teaching children about bacteria, and he can begin to hear thoughts. And it's kind of freaking him out because one of these you know jock kids in his class is thinking, what a loser. I'm and- surprised that it's only one that's thinking that because really the poor guy is not – he doesn't look like he inspires much respect. No. Um, so with his mind, he basically just jostles this kid out of his seat and throws him in the air and throws him down onto the ground. Um, we do find out at this point, though, that Tim Robbins plays his dad, uh, Papa Hammond, and he has a, a ranking in the, the military, I believe. Yeah, he was. We saw him earlier in the in the scene where they were testing those planes, mm-hmm. and I guess he was one of the big wigs that was trying to complete the sale, or, or that that Ferris, the company, was trying to impress him. To I don't know. He has and, he has a big military position somewhere. And also, props to this movie, the Wes Craven esque kind of with the Drew Barrymore thing in the first scream. Uh, Tim Robbins, probably the most crafted actor in this film, and he's just treated as a lesser than i i think props to the movie and also props to tim robbins for not being afraid of taking a role you know, for not the- being afraid to put over the young kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there there's probably other actors that were hoping for a break and, and get like a small part in the mm-hmm. in the green lantern movie but robbins was like nope i'm taking this one too <laughs> so we find out he is hector's dad and he had uh, gotten the job for Hector to do the autopsy on the alien and, you know, kind of builds him up. You know, you, you're doing a lot of good here, but he can hear his thoughts. And he, he hears that, you know, his dad thinks he's a failure and a weirdo. And uh, the wheels are starting to turn and you can tell Hector Hammond's heading nowhere good and fast. Um, we find out next through, you know, uh, some more exposition from Mark, uh, Mark Strong, Jeffrey Rush and Michael Clark Duncan parallax and basically the origin of him and it basically he is pure unadulterated fear harvested into this life form that terrorizes and steals the souls of others yeah uh it's also here that we meet the the people running the show we meet the guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. it's really the knights of the round table yes they're 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 really old and wrinkly but that's because apparently they've been alive for who knows how long. So that makes them believe that they have all the answers. I thought it was Mickey Rooney at first because the CGI is so good in this film. But yeah, they there are the... Maybe his credit as an inspiration. I didn't read all the credits, all the credits, but uh, but who knows? There's really a... Uh, I, I thought I saw Mickey Rooney and I thought I saw... Uh, fuck, I had her name when we were watching the movie. <laughs> Betty White. <laughs> I thought I, there's a guardian that looks like Betty White. Uh, but they're basically the elders and they know, they know all of ever. And they, they actually have the one awesome line, uh, that comes a bit later, but when Ryan Reynolds asked them to help save earth and they said, we're immortal, we have to think about what can affect, you know, the universe for billions of years to come. Yes. Which is good, but it also shows what the movie is getting at in a very sideways, uh, uh, fashion, because of course they really want you to be more into the, the, you know, the straight up. Mm-hmm. Action adventure that Green Lantern having, but it's also it's very a very subtle uh, criticism of the establishment and how the people in power 
yes, they're thinking of the long-term goals, but that means that the little people uh, suffer the more immediate consequences. So Ryan Reynolds' character, Hal Jordan, he's all about the immediate uh, good, uh, saving people right here, right now, whereas the Guardians are more about like, yeah, but billions of years from now, maybe if we do this, there's mm-hmm. no good consequences. And that's a very interesting uh, uh, debate to have, something that I, I'm i 100% sure that if the franchise had continued, the movie, movie number two, I'm sorry about the spoil the end, movie number two would be Hal Jordan versus Sinestro. Mm-hmm. Movie number three would be Hal Jordan versus the Guardians. That that actually happens in the comics, and it's like one of the coolest things. A lot of people hated it, but you know, Hal Jordan goes bad because he's had enough of their shit, and mm-hmm. he just goes after them and Kurt kills a lot of people. All that cool stuff could have happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, just moralistically speaking, I, I found that to be the the most fascinating part of the film, where the Guardians are like, we don't really want to fuck with the course of time, so we're going to be here a lot longer than you, Ryan Reynolds. So, yeah, so maybe Earth has to go. Yeah. Um, back to Earth, there is a banquet. Uh, not particularly sure why, because there was this crash that cost a lot of people their jobs, and I don't quite know what we're celebrating. Well, oh, they got, but they got the contract. That was that's it. right. That's yeah, right, that's, yeah. So they're like, fuck it. <laughs> we'll, we'll party anyway. Um, big passionate speech from Tim Robbins, you know, praising the work of uh, Hal Jordan. To which uh, some lone soul in the crowd goes, yeah, hell. God bless that extra. Maybe he'll <laughs> never work in Hollywood again, but <laughs> he, he got his scream in there. Campbell was like, not on my set, <laughs> god damn it. Uh, he also play, it also praises Carol Ferris, um, you know, uh, conspicuous by the absence and the mentions, you know, Hector Hammond. Um, <laughs> Everything and- you need to know. If, if you still had any questions about what's what's messed up with Peter Sarsgaard's character, well, this scene just answered it because he gets no he, love. Yeah, he gets mistreated for, by everybody, <laughs> mainly Tim Robbins. He, uh, we get these incredible shots of more and more progressively drunk Peter Sarsgaard getting more and more bitter and angry. And uh, Carol walks off stage. He gives her a hug and sniffs her hair. It's fantastic. And then you can tell he's a bit loaded. He's grabbing drinks from other people. <laughs> he's basically saying, you know, oh, you guys are so much better than me. And he's, you know, being real uh, self-deprecating. But in his drunken state, he said, but I did perform an autopsy <laughs> on an alien life form the other day. <laughs> What's funny is actually it's even worse than that because he's being self-deprecating. And then Carol, Blake Lively, makes it worse. She goes like... I, I know, I know it can't be, it can't be easy, like, growing up with your dad, where it was, like, even worse, it just buries him, like, I know you're fucked up, but, you know, chin up, buddy, you, it'll get better. But, yeah, he starts then just drunkenly, in, increasing in volume, talking about, you know, working on this alien life form, and Tim Robbins comes over, he's like, oh, you're talking about one of your science fiction stories, and... So demeaning and <laughs> condescending. <laughs> So Tim Robbins and crew go to head out, and they're taking their little private helicopter. Um, when Peter Sarsgaard, uh, Hector Hammond's powers are becoming more and more prevalent, and he's figured out how to use them. He causes a beer tap to fly up into one of the rotors of the helicopter. Despite it only being about 25 feet off the ground, it sends it into this massive tailspin to which it threatens to kill all the partygoers. Um when Hal Jordan appears as a Green Lantern and in the most convoluted way possible saves the day. Yeah, I, I think it gives you a hint at uh, Hal's real... Uh, he's, he's, he likes to show off. You know, it, earlier when we saw him piloting that plane, mm-hmm. and he, even though it was not part of the He likes mission, to make a show. Yeah, he, he was like, all he cared about was, was beating those drones. And now mm-hmm. here, 
he can't just like make a giant cushion for the helicopter to fall on. No, he creates a racetrack and, and gives the helicopter wheels and then it just goes around and around. It, it's a whole thing. And I appreciated it because that's character through action. Mm-hmm. It, it's the movie trusting us to be able to figure out that, oh, that's really what this guy's about. He wants the attention and he wants to make a show out of it. Uh, it's also telling that he still has the ring because the reason he's back on Earth is because he, he quit Green Lantern Boot Camp. Remember, right. like, yep. uh, Sinestro beats him up, uh, you know, after he's training with Kilowog. Sinestro comes in, beats him up, humiliates him, and then basically gives him a speech saying, there's a reason why humans have never been Green Lanterns. You guys are not ready. And then Ryan Reynolds is like, oh, yeah, you're right. I quit. <laughs> but they let him keep the ring, which really says a lot about the Guardians and really mm-hmm. how they were they had more trust in him than than even he had at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, little things that to somebody that's going in negatively, ready to hate the movie, uh, they would look like inconsistencies. But when you're actually watching the movie and appreciating the when characters, you're, you're like, oh, no, I can see that this was all part of a bigger plan. Mm-hmm. And Blake Lively kind of gets crushed in some of the wreckage here, uh, Carol, and he picks her up and kind of takes her away and... It pretty much lends itself to a series of events where he explains to her what's going on. Well, first he explains his buddy. His, That's right. His, his buddy shows Poor up. Poor man's IT crowd. Poor man's IT crowd shows up in his apartment uh, because he recognizes him. Which, I mean, the Green Lantern costume. It's not much of a costume. Right. It's like a little it's green like thing over your eyes. <laughs> yes. Yes, which, by the way, Legend of Zorro, directed by Martin Campbell, mm-hmm. he likes he likes his little eye masks. <laughs> I think my theory is that it's more it's more than just the little face mask. It's just the Green Lantern, the ring power will keep your identity secret unless subconsciously you don't want it to. Mm-hmm. And I think that he wants his friend to know. That's why his friend recognizes him. And later on, Blake Lively also recognizes him under the mask real fast because yeah. deep down he wants her to. Yeah. So I think that there's more to it than just like, oh, well, it's a shitty costume. How did they, how is it that nobody else <laughs> noticed? But he shows off uh, his costume to his friend who his friend freaks out about it. And then he goes and basically rekindles all of the old romantic flames with Blake Lively. Not all of it, though, because they she does tell him she is impressed by the powers, but then at the end... She's kind of like, I feel sorry for you because he tells her that she that he quit, mm-hmm. and she's kind of bummed that he quit the coolest job in the world, <laughs> uh, being one of one of thirty six hundred protectors of the, yes. the, the galaxy. Uh, which says a lot about her character. I like the fact that she didn't just take him back because suddenly he had like superpowers. Mm-hmm. She was like, man, you still need to be a better man than this. She is hard to get, and and that's good because I think uh, uh, in other superhero movies, the female character would have gone for it already. Yeah. She would have just hopped on board right away. Yes, Mary Jane, we're looking at you. Crazy Sars, Peter Sarsgaard, <laughs> Hector Hammond. He's just getting worse and worse. Uh, his skull has grown. Uh, his brain is, you know, basically hemorrhaged in size. He has just become. He's becoming an alien. Yes, he is. You don't usually. You're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but there are times when really, if somebody looks like a crazy murderous alien, then they're probably a crazy murderous alien. And Peter Stark is looking pretty rough right now. And the government picks him up, takes him back to the center in which he performed the original autopsy of Abin Sir. Uh, Tim Robbins' his dad is there, and he's like, "I'm sorry, this was me that did this to you." And he says, "I've never felt better." And they put him under. He wakes back up, and via use of his new murderous powers, he's able to free himself, take out everybody in the room, 
But and I was I was paying attention for this, <laughs> not that I wasn't during the movie, but but here I like I leaned forward because I'm like, oh, are they gonna kill Angela Bassett? Because then that throws away my theory that they were planning to develop this into a, a bigger thing. They almost do. They almost do, but she survives because so. somehow Hal Jordan knows what's going on and he comes in, blasts a hole in the wall, uh, saves her, uh, and then he kind of gets into a, a scuffle there with uh, Doctor Hammond, and Hammond's able to wipe him out. Um, and incapacitate him, so he kills his dad, Tim Robbins. He locks him in a chamber and then just tortures him to death. It's one of the coolest deaths in any superhero movie, let alone like just movies in general. But uh, it's it's really cool. And that's that that's it for Tim Robbins. And we're only halfway through the movie, yeah, maybe. That, so. That's that's the curtain call for Mr. Robbins. Uh, I have here in my notes, Dead Robbins. <laughs> That's all you need to say. So uh, Hal just kind of regroups himself. Uh, Dr. Hammond disappears after this. Hal, you know, is obviously disjointed by this. We go back to, um, how do you pronounce the planet name again? Oa. Oa. Uh, And what they have done in order to combat Parallax is they've created the Yellow Ring, which pretty much harvests pure, unadulterated fear. And they figure this is going to be the only way to stop Parallax. Um, Hal shows back up and it's at this point kind of going back to what we were mentioning earlier he asks for help and they say we we don't know if we can do this we have to protect the galaxy Um, but he basically talks him out of using the yellow ring yeah which Sinestro had convinced him to create the yellow ring Mm -hmm. again planting the seeds for for Sinestro for for Sinestro it's it's really cool because again it's the movie start, uh, sticking with the little people versus the giant corporation uh, thing where where Hal Jordan's just telling them you you need to be better than this you can't just succumb to fear if you cross this line you're not there's no one crossing it and he gives him this awesome speech that if it doesn't convince him to go help him mm-hmm. uh, on earth at the very least it convinces him to hold off on using the the ring they basically decide to give him a shot and like okay if you can stop parallax on your own uh then then good and if mm-hmm. you don't stop him then we're using the ring uh we're giving you 20 minutes and then we're coming in <laughs> yes we're gonna we're gonna let them bronze this ring for a little longer and then <laughs> and then we're gonna go uh but really what i found the most compelling which is something that obviously i didn't get the first time i watched this movie when it first came out it's just how in a way it, this is dc warner brothers slash dc giving themselves a pep talk and trying mm-hmm. to talk themselves out of going really dark really going into fear with their franchise you know what happens after the green lantern when it bombed it's just they just they just they put on the yellow ring and then they gave us you know the the nolan batman trilogy which is just this joyless examination of batman and then you know now the superman movies are also dark and just there's nobody smiles nobody quips and Green Lantern was the complete opposite. They put their chips on that, mm-hmm. and and sadly it bumped. But in this movie, in the, in the movie itself, there is like them saying, "We have to do better than this." It, you know, Martin Campbell was telling the studio, "You need to have faith, and you need to just be strong, and a movie like this can succeed." Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly, uh, it just it didn't happen. But it was it's almost prophetic because at the time you had no idea that that kind of stuff was going to happen. Yeah, you know. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really sad. Back on Earth, and Doctor Hammond, because he was able to basically scan Hal's brain to find what was most important to him, he does have Carol hostage. Has basically a a big old vial of I don't know cyanide, something that's going to kill her, held to her neck. Uh, Hal comes in, says, you know, put her down. Uh, he agrees to give. Hammond the ring, 
if you know he lets her go uh he gives it to him and Hammond puts on the ring and just insurmountable power overcomes him and he goes to attack Hal saying I lied and it's at this point that Mr. Jordan reveals that you know the true hero is inside of us and the ring is not what is necessary is he's able to block the attack um more concerning is that parallax is now on earth and this warehouse they're in is now being surrounded by the many tentacles and limbs of parallax um, as he comes in, he immediately kills Peter Sarsgaard. He says, you have failed me. Just as, as, as quickly and unexpectedly as Tim Robbins died, so goes his son. Because <laughs> it just, it happens. I mean, Hammond was, for all intents and purposes, really the nemesis in this movie. Where Parallax mm. seemed like Parallax was going to be a fight for the entire Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. And Hal Jordan was going to take care of, of Peter Hammond. But no, now he's gone. And now it's Jordan versus Parallax. He's out of the picture. He, his soul is drained. His body is dead. Um, Blake Lively does the run-in and makes it and grabs the ring off his finger and throws it to Hal so he can become the Green Lantern. I think that's more of a symbolic gesture than anything because by now he's proven that he can just you know, use his mind Absolutely. To, to use it. But I understand that it's one thing to fight against Peter Sarsgaard, another thing to fight against this giant... It's also bucking mask. sexist stereotypes made in movies where she gives him the ring. I, I love it. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it. But yeah, because he... he it's her way of finally telling him, I believe in the man you're going to become. And I, I, I'm I, along for the ride. I'm along for the ride. I accept. I do. <laughs> so Hal just can constructs every single thing he can think of to try to defeat Parallax. Uh, meantime, he's saving random citizens on the street, making sure you know that they're safe. Uh, at this point, you know, Parallax overcomes him in almost a dome-like shape and says, you know, the human race is going to be wiped out. I can sense the fear in you. Uh, at this point, Mr. Jordan recites the oath, the Green Lantern oath, powers his way through, and it quickly becomes apparent his plan. He takes uh, Parallax in outer space, and he's trying to lure him into the sun. Yeah, it's, it's the second time that we get the oath, and this time it's a little different from the first one, because the first one, he just didn't know it, and mm-hmm. he's just kind of repeating it, but it's not. there's no intention to it. It's just He's just saying it, and he was still cool. This one's got some oomph. Oh yeah, yeah. This one he 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 was into it. He was into it, and uh, it really gives him like that extra boost to overpower Parallax enough to like get him out of Earth. Mm-hmm. So that was that was very satisfying as a fan to just see that happen. And he gets him to the edge of the sun, and basically at this point, you know, he musters all the energy he can. Um, and once again, his um, modus operandi, his weapon of choice, comes into play. It's the big punch. He he punches Parallax, knocks him into the the gravitational pull of the sun. Uh, destroys Parallax and how, you know, all his energy is gone. So he begins falling towards the sun at which point in time, you know, his cohorts from the core save him. Um, kind of frustrating because you feel as an audience member that they could have kind of stepped in and helped him defeat, but we know it was Hal's battle to fight. It was. And I think that the implications of, of, Oh, these guys were watching the entire time. I think that would have been explored in further mm-hmm. movies. Once you get to really, because this movie just introduces the core, but they don't really explore it. I think that subsequent movies would explain what the rules are and what the uh, what goes on between these individuals. And yeah, they seem to get along, but also they have their own personalities mm-hmm. and their own ways of, of following the rules or maybe not following them. There is like such a rich tapestry of of, of just characters and and. It plots that you could have mined from the Green Lantern universe. And so much left unexplored. I know. And this movie just gave you like hints at all this greatness, mm-hmm. and you just didn't pick it up, America. 
Um, so he's vanquished that demon. Uh, you know, things are restored with the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, Hal and Carol rekindle their relationship back on Earth. Now she'll take him back. Yeah. Now he's proven that, that he's, he's proven he's himself a big not only to her, to the world, but to the galaxy. Yes. Literally, I mean, every single alien in Oa is just cheering for him at the end. <laughs> um, so this is kind of where we leave on this end. Uh, now there is the uh, post credit scene, which lent itself to what our sequel was going to be of Sinestro. He puts on the yellow ring, the fear ring, and he becomes the fear. Yeah, he's, his, his costume turns yellow. And then I think even if you were not a follower of the comics and you didn't know that Sinestro was a bad guy, mm-hmm. you, you'd still you get the idea. So basically, this was the end of Matrix Reloaded, but we didn't get Matrix Revolutions. Nope. Uh, it was the ultimate cliffhanger that we'll never have any resolution to. I know. I'm sure there's tons of fanfic out there about Has Mark to Strong. Be. Yeah, Mark Strong just uh, is wrecking havoc at Sinestro and, and Hal Jordan fighting him and then fighting the Guardians. It's all left unsaid, sadly. And that's your fault, movie going public. I know. I went an opening weekend, mm-hmm. so you can't blame me. <laughs> but but I, I sometimes, you know, just one man is not enough. It's like voting in Texas. It just doesn't count. <laughs> oh. I think that I, I think I've exhausted all the resources. Are we ready for real talk? Yeah, you need to recharge the battery the, the ring of the battery. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Whew. yeah, real talk, real talk. <laughs> I feel your fear growing. You will be dead soon. Everybody's dead. Black. And when you're gone, I'll destroy everything you ever loved. No evil. You shall escape my son. Your family, your home, your planet will be no more. Those who worship evil's mind. The entire human race will be wiped out because you, Al Jordan, were afraid. Green Lantern, directed by Martin Campbell of Goldeneye, Casino Royale fame, and who didn't really ever recover from this. Uh, Much like Peter Sarsgaard, that that was it. (laughs) R.I.P. This was released on June 17th of 2011. In my mind, it was a January release or a late fall release. I didn't remember it getting prominent summer billing. Uh, budget of estimated $200 million, Box office of little over $200 million. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of money. It is. But it's not superhero money. When you invest that much money into something, though, you're going to want a bigger return than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. what to say well let me help you find the words okay or maybe not because this is all supposed to be positive reviews but they also they have this tinge of like disappointment or or even like i liked it but Mm -hmm. um starting with leonard malton leonard malton from leonard malton's picks who says it isn't innovative it isn't deep the characters aren't particularly well developed but i still had a good time watching green lantern boo Steven Silver from Patch says the mythology is nonsensical and the plot takes forever to get going. But once it does, the movie takes advantage of a strong cast and a director who knows what he's doing. Peter Rayner from Christian Science Monitor says Parallax was obviously Satan. 
No, that's not true. Is it? <laughs> it says, at least the filmmakers acknowledge that Reynolds in green tights and mask still looks like his non-green lantern alter ego, cocky test pilot Hal Jordan. There's none of this Clark Kent Superman silliness. That's how far he has to dig. How to deep he has to go to, to find the positive. Hey, at least they figure out who he was. I would have accepted, hey, Blake Lively's hot as a more positive review. <laughs> yes. Uh, Which is true. I don't know if we've ever talked about that. We, we actually, oddly enough, we completely we watched the entire movie without acknowledging that Blake Lively. Oh no, she's really I meant the Clark Kent Superman thing in this day and age. Still presenting that as they don't know it's oh, so silly. Yeah. Did you ever see the SNL skit where The Rock was Clark Kent and <laughs> everyone like at the Daily Planet, everyone knew he was Superman, oh. so they would just like fuck with him. And, like his suit was like ha- halfway hanging out of his uh, tux and all that. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Uh, I'm, trying, I'm scanning my brain for entertaining things to talk about. Uh, John Bifus from Commercial Appeal, Memphis, Tennessee, says, One of the goofier, less pretentious, and more agreeable kid-friendly superhero action movies of the current trend. Kid-friendly! No. I, I, as a kid, uh, Peter Sarks were probably giving me nightmares. It's more lighthearted, I'll give it that, but, that but f- I was telling you, that first five minutes, kids would be lost already. Yeah, And that didn't make Fantastic Four any better. The fact that it was like, Kid friendly, at least supposedly. Hmm. <laughs> Was Fantastic Four from twenty two thousand nine, two thousand five, two thousand five, two thousand five? Was that better than the Green Lantern? I probably enjoyed it more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> there's nothing as unintentionally entertaining in this as the shot of uh, who's Tim Robbins? No, the. Who who was gonna be Bond but played the Doctor in Fantastic Four? Oh, uh, uh, Julian McMahon. Yeah, no, no, wasn't Julian McMahon Doom? Yeah, he was Doom. Oh, okay. you talk about that Ian McGruffid or yeah, McGruffid. Uh, the shot of him frozen where they just spray painted his body blue <laughs> and he's there trembling with the icicles on his nose. I mean, that's, that, that's as bad as, as some of the shots here where Ryan Reynolds' mask is just spray painted. <laughs> but yeah, the, but but like Fantastic Four is more fun. Yes, agreed. This is not a good movie in any conceivable realm. Well, this guy, David Sexton from This Is London, uh, kind of disagrees. You, this is going to sting. The, get ready, Mattis. Let's get the ointment. I liked it much more than, say, Thor. Precisely Oof. because Oof. it's so openly childish. That approach seems right for the material. 12-year-olds are fabulously well-served by the movies nowadays. In case it's never been stated on air, I think Thor is the best film in the Avengers franchise. Um, and yeah, that's absurd. Um, so we, it seems like we always come to this because we really punish ourselves sometimes in doing these really like genuinely bad movies. Um, I'm not sure. I can't remember if you were able to get any actual joy out of Ready to Rumble, but like when we watch something like that, it it were, uh, Empire Records is another one. I fucking love that. Movie. No, 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 Empire Records is great. Yeah, and Ready to Rumble was uh, it's maybe it was a you, fun experiment. For, it was a fun experiment, but also I guess maybe as a wrestling fan, and actually because I've talked to. You know, Reed and Chris. Uh, yeah. I I know that they actually take it personally. I take a personal offense to that movie existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like Green Lantern, it's not like I'm the biggest Green Lantern fan, but I'm familiar enough with the comics that this movie is a little offensive because of how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a terrible movie in the sense that it's not like Pulp Art, you know, or or our benchmark. <laughs> our benchmark for badness is probably Pulp Lark. Well, the, the main what I turned to you and said while we were watching this is it is truly shocking 
to fathom that someone who made a film like Casino Royale could make a film like this. I would like to think that this was just uh, mismanaged from higher than the Well, Martin like I was kind of telling you about during my research, um, Martin Campbell wanted Bradley Cooper. And at one point, it was like announced that it was going to be Bradley Cooper. And he was only going to do that. And in the studio, which uh, Warner Brothers went and cast Ryan Reynolds behind his back, leading to... Uh, reported tension a lot on <laughs> on set with Ryan Reynolds and Martin Campbell um, okay. to the point where Ryan Reynolds did an interview and he said he was glad it bombed because he was terrified <laughs> of doing it again. Uh, poor guy. I, I Especially because I don't think Ryan Reynolds is the problem with the movie. Uh, he is, uh, he's just doing what he's told here. Oh, and, yeah. and so it's just, not, they, they hired him to be Ryan Reynolds. Right. It's not his fault that the movie just misses the... And, and again, I'm not a purist, so... I really don't care if they change the Hal Jordan character to make him more flawed because I, I really do believe what I said in the previous segment, which, you know, I always say previous segment. I think we should name it just like we have real talk. Mm-hmm. It should be unreal talk, maybe. Uh, unreal <laughs> talk. But anyway, like I said in the unreal talk. The contrarians universe. Get at us and tell us what we need to name that first portion. Yes. Uh, fakey talk. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Well, temporarily it's called unreal talk. And in unreal talk, I said that... Uh, I think that a lot of people were probably upset that they changed the Hal Jordan character. And I, I just, that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I believe that you needed him to have a character arc. And for that, he needed to be fearful. Well, and and, like, and not... as, as someone who, I remember like the marketing for this, that, that was like 60% of the movie's gimmick was it's Ryan Reynolds as a superhero. Right. You want him to be funny and you yeah. want it to be quippy and all that stuff. So it's, it's a shame because I think that you could do a more interesting movie with a character that's not so obviously Ryan Reynolds. The thing but... is, man, fucking, as I was saying repeatedly, the Green Lantern story, it's not going to work as a mainstream crossover. It's You, you want proof no, no. that this shit... Let's see how much fucking movie Aquaman, or how much money Aquaman <laughs> makes, okay? Dude, I, I, here's the counterpoint to that, and that is called Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is the movie that Green Lantern Touché. should have been, uh, and not because because Chris Pratt needed to be Green Lantern, not because Green Lantern needed to be like this smart ass, whatever. But if even if he was like he is in this movie, that's a movie that fully commits to. Being about outer space, about being crazy, and being just like doing and what it's the other a movie that doing. everyone was saying was going to be a disaster until it came out. Right, but that's the difference because this movie starts in outer space and goes to Oa and a couple. It shows you a couple of good things, but it's just like uh, not good things necessarily, but it shows you things that you don't see in other you. movies. Uh, yeah, th- that's the thing. It spends most of its time on Earth doing like really generic, boring things. And that was my main problem with the movie when I watched it. I was like, this is a movie about a guy with the most powerful weapon in the universe. And he's fucking doing racetracks and like at parties and, yeah. and showing his buddy what the costume looks like. We've seen that in so many other superhero movies. This was the one where you could have just gone out there and explored the galaxy. Yes, if you're not into science fiction slash fantasy, then that's not going to be as appealing. Wait, is that the point? I'm sorry, I'm trying to make sure I get your point. Is why Guardians succeeded? Was it committed fully 100% to that? I mean, one of the reasons. Yeah. You know, the other one is Chris Pratt. uh, Chris Pratt. But I think Chris Pratt is a charismatic leading actor the way that Ryan Reynolds can be a charismatic Mm -hmm. leading actor. It's just that the movie kind of has him stuck in this really mundane. It has an identity crisis. Can't figure out, like, really what it wants to be. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with this movie, but the one Mm -hmm. thing that really. It bothers me is just that they took a very it's it it actually it's very similar to what uh the first couple of fantastic four movies did uh or you know the tim story fantastic four movies that the were good they just, ones yes <laughs> well in real talk they're like the terrible ones <laughs> and uh 
they just stripped the characters from that what that really set them apart that the, their adventures anywhere else besides earth in this dimension you know the fantastic four are known for being explorers and doing the thing green lantern is also known for being part of this cosmic army and there's it's there's, like a uh, x-men 3 when they wanted to <laughs> domesticate the phoenix story yeah it's just it's just all happening here in this city and and there's like the all the new mutants look like gang members and there's really nothing majestic about Mm -hmm. this approach uh so that is a shame and really what pissed me off and makes it even worse for me than the fantastic four movies also from that point of view it's just that by 2009 hollywood knew better they'd already done some good superhero movies and you have this movie that just kind of takes a step back and goes back to like shit that you would Joel see Schumacher. It. Yeah, like the Fantastic Four movies. Going back to them, you know, it's like it was doing like the silly stupid. Exactly. At this shit. point, Batman Begins and Dark Knight had already come out. It's yeah, like... yeah, yeah. And like, you know, the first couple of Spider-Mans. So it was... Uh, Spider-Man. They... <laughs> too, makes... too many Spider-Man. <laughs> too many Spider-Man. Uh, it, it, it really... It's like they didn't learn from what was working. And instead, they just went to make a generic action movie that happened to star superhero... I think part of the intention was we can pull this off and like have a really hokey. I don't know. It, yeah, it's not. It's the type of movie you watch it, and when you know, Jesus, you've watched as many movies as we have, and spent as much just ridiculous amount of time arguing and debating and shit. You can watch a movie like this and be like, okay, there were problems outside of just direction, and yeah, I mean, this is really, in a way, it's also like. Uh, going back to the the Batman vs Superman thing, the the latest there is there is this more is, than this is better than that. Uh, is it? No, I, don't know. I will get Batman vs Superman points for at least trying. Something I laughed different. a lot more in Batman vs Superman <laughs> than I did here. But I think that whatever problems you have with Batman vs Superman go beyond Zack Snyder. They have to do with the direction of uh, the mandate from up above that say, hey, it's not just. It's not just that you're making this movie. You're making this movie and setting up, you know, all these other movies, and it has to be like this. So we like have that. to have this shot of Aquaman going, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. And uh, here, I think that it's also. I don't think Martin Campbell decided on his own to just take this approach to United. Maybe he did, and I'm wrong. But I, it feels to me that it was more. He made Goldeneye. <laughs> How could he do that? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was clearly the studio was like, all right, god damn it, we're going to have a trilogy out of this shit. So like Yeah, and they and so they decided to start small and that was a huge mistake maybe. I, I don't know. It just and there but there's stuff that is just almost like downright incompetent storytelling that's mm-hmm. just baffling, you know, like uh the first time that uh the Green Lantern How does he keep the... getting back to his car? <laughs> <laughs> No, but but the first fight that he fight the first time that he fights with uh, Peter Sarsgaard, right? Sarsgaard just kind of disappears because Green Lantern wins. Yeah, he wins that fight, and yet Hammond like he falls to his knees, he screams, and then he vanishes. And you're During like, the, what the, the hell? Happened? Are you referring to the the unfinished CGI scene where he throws the melted glass on yes. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, and then later, like the one that I pointed out, uh, which I remember bothering me so much when I was watching the movie. What, like he lets Hammond put the ring on, then he reveals that he's been controlling the ring long distance with his mind. But then he immediately needs the ring. Exactly. Then 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 Hammond dies, the ring is on the floor, and he has to reach the ring before he fights Parallax. You were using the ring with your mind just a second ago. Why don't you just will it to fly back to your hand? It's just that's no dumb. Shit. That's like really I can't believe in the year, you know, two thousand eleven, they were making a movie that made those mistakes, that mm-hmm. made just like 
like did they not care or did they not even think about it that's what makes you know if you want our take on the current the current state of superhero films go and listen to the last 20 minutes of the ready to rumble podcast because we go <laughs> off on it then uh but yeah it especially uh within a three-year time frame from when the dark knight came out it's like do it good or don't do it because you know it's that game changer type film of like but quentin tarantino loved it so um i he has to be trolling i mean that was the same year he had the green lantern and green hornet in his top 10 films of the year he likes he just likes green i think he's but yeah, just, it, it, no he has to be fucking around there's no way that that he actually every time he releases his top 10 i just kind of scan it to see like which outrageous pick yeah. he had this time so uh but yeah just completely agreeing with you it's at that at this stage in the game of superhero films, you can't make just fundamental stupid errors like that. Yeah, and and really basic stories like this one. I mean, this is a like straight to cable movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have it doesn't have anything to I mean, for I, how simple you've made the plot. Don't make really silly mistakes like that. Yeah, it, it, and just aim higher. You know, it's. Uh, I aim mean, I, I would like to think that it wouldn't even get released. These days, I, I hear. I mean, there are people that you know didn't like Ant Man and didn't like. Uh, you know, some of the later Marvel movies now, because they're like, well, they're really kind of like, they're phoning it in at this point. I don't think so. But if you want to see what phoning it in looks like, you need to watch Green Lantern. Yep. That is just literally them sleepwalking through the filmmaking process almost. It's like, okay, Ryan Reynolds, be goofy. Blake Lively, be hot. And then you get my boy Peter Sarsgaard in there, and he went for it. He did. He did. Okay. And that's, that's something that really... Uh, back in the Unreal talk. Yeah. <laughs> I was not kidding. He really gives it his all. And this movie Betrayed crushed him. his soul. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he has not been the same since. I wonder if he's just like a huge Green Lantern fan and he was like, oh, I get to be part of the mythos. I'm down. Yeah. I, I I always say that he was in on the joke, but he is like the only one who like Thought gave that, genuine effort right. to this. And it really, well, maybe Where not. because Tim uh, Robbins on vacation, just like <laughs> they pulled the string and he said his lines. Tim Robbins could have been anyone. It could have been like somebody doing his first movie and, and it just, it wouldn't have changed. The, but it had to have been Tim Robbins. Okay, so my two favorite moments in the film. Uh, it had to be Tim Robbins. So in his death scene, we got the fucking Friday the 13th part two <laughs> close up of ah, the death screen. <laughs> Uh, and two, as you pointed out when we were watching it, without question, my favorite part in the movie, uh, when Abin Sir is like dying in the ship and Hal runs up to save him and Abin Sir looks at him and he's so disappointed. <laughs> he's just so angry at him. It's almost like they hadn't told the actor. Like that it was Ryan Reynolds. Right. And he just always like, oh, it's this kind of movie. <laughs> Fuck. It's so perfect, and then he just gives him the ring. And, yeah, uh, um, uh, yeah. Peter Sarsgaard. And my theory kind of goes sideways now because uh, I really thought that that was the last time that I saw him give a performance that really captured me. I mean, they, then after that, I I think it was after that, that I saw him in uh, Night and Day. Mm-hmm. And Night and Day, he's just like he just doesn't give a fuck. At, at least that's my perception of it. He's, he plays the bad guy in Night and Day, and he's just. Uh, I always think of Peter Sarsgaard as a very uh, lively. Mm-hmm. you know presence in a movie even when he's being laid back you can tell there's like a lot of energy and i mean he has movie, a <laughs> yeah not in this movie and some of his roles he has a very quiet charisma about right him. and he has like this attitude and you you're like oh wow this guy and it's, this he just he goes for it yeah and this one he's like this is his like uh an empire records you know the one that uh what's that character we always make fun of uh, ethan embry ethan embry <laughs> you know he went for it here peter sarkin went for it and then after this 
like I said, night and day. He's just not there. He's mm-hmm. just like he's like Tim Robbins in this movie. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> where's where's the craft table? Oh, yeah, I'll be over there. Uh, I I think I've seen him recently in something. Oh yeah, I saw him in that movie uh, with Johnny Depp and the giant forehead. Uh, Black Mass. He has like oh. a small part, and he's he's back to be Imperial Sarsgaard. So there's hope. Good. <laughs> yeah, he plays like this junkie informant. I don't remember, but he's like easily the most memorable thing in the movie. He is an untapped talent. I, I've always kind of thought that, and I remember even you know five years ago when this came out, being like, "Hmm, I like this guy." Yeah, no, I remember oh, like because oh, I, I knew out. I knew who he was, and I was like taking Green Lantern, huh, Sarsgaard, <laughs> and like so it's kind of a step sideways. Um, Blake Lively, you know, we were kind of debating. We we're like, is she talented when we were watching this? Uh, and then I brought up the town, which you haven't seen. I haven't seen. So. I know I need to. Um, but she's fine. They they don't, for what you would expect, they don't write an insulting female character for this film. No, that, that was that was actually good. I mean, she, she stands up to him. Uh they still kind of feel like, oh well, he has to have a love story. So, mm-hmm. but but she no, she's pretty competent. She's not individually taken individually. Nobody here is at fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody's given their all. Yeah, like, and it's like with Ryan Reynolds. You can tell they just told him it's like okay, well, be quirky, Van Wilder. Right. Yeah. He's like okay, well, hopefully everything else is working around me, and it it isn't. Yeah. But the voice work by Michael Hart Duncan and Jeffrey Rush, Mark Strong as Sinestro. Mm-hmm. There's you have good parts. It's just that they don't add up to a good whole, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's a shame. Now Martin Campbell. Uh, after this, that was his last like big profile. Well, and project. we had joked about it when we announced. Uh, yeah, th- th- that is. But we had joked about it when we announced we were going to do this um, about how Ryan Reynolds just recently had a comeback, and when I was looking at it, that's true. He really like after this, just there was a bunch of shit, and like because I for some reason in my timeline in my brain the proposal was after this because I remember the proposal did like bank right right uh, but no that was beforehand so that's probably why they anchored him to lead this is like okay we can capture women audiences as well but after this was like the change up RIPD just stinker after stinker what was that one with Denzel he did safe house um and so Deadpool, it's kind of fun how the vindication worked out. Yeah, then. yeah, he's because uh, you know you can't take that away from him. Like you can say that Green Lantern's not his fault, but there's no way you can take away the credit from Deadpool from him. You mm-hmm. know, Deadpool is a hundred percent Ryan Reynolds there, and he's and he's been fighting for the project to to, to get done and to get done properly. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like that's a, a good like. It's a fun story. A fun story. It's like, oh, cool. You know, yeah. if they fucked him over on Wolverine Origins, they fucked him over on Green Lantern, and then he finally got his due uh, on Deadpool. Do Do you enjoy his scene in Wolverine? I, I don't remember very much. I mean, I remember thinking because I knew that you know who Deadpool was. So I'm like, oh, okay. So they're planting the seeds for yeah. him to be a smartass, and then it just and then they sew his mouth up. Yes, and give him Cyclops' powers. And, oh, yeah, and then he has big katanas that come out of his forearms and shit. Uh, but now his his first scene, that just complete sidebar. I remember watching that, and between the opening montage of Wolverine and Sabretooth and all the wars, and then that first scene with Wade Wilson, I was like, this movie is going to be awesome. <laughs> and it was not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that is kind of a fun trajectory, and... Uh, 
like we were talking about, he had two summer movies, the other being The Change Up with Jason Bateman in 2011, which is one of the worst movies. Uh, oh, so you've seen it? I did. Oh, I, I might I, have I also, screened it. I, well, I think I screened it because there's no way that I just went to watch it of my own. But uh, I I screened it and I, it was just everything I expected it to be. So I had a great time. <laughs> it, was, it was frustrating. But, uh, well, they were... a. Uh, well, n- while never on screen at the same time, they they shared a previous contrarian's favorite. They were both in Smoke and Aces. That's right. Yeah. They've done so much better. That, they <laughs> have. Um, there you go. That's a movie that was rated probably as low as this, uh, 26% Green Lantern. And that goes to prove what our mission statement <laughs> is here. Smoke and Aces is, I, I hope you'd agree, it's an exponentially better film than Green Lantern. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, at, I think at some point, maybe when we, when we get to like uh, episode 50, we'll rank all the movies that we've done mm-hmm. and we'll rank them, you know, from best to worst. And I, don't, I mean, like Paul Blart is probably towards the bottom and Green Lantern is also there. Yeah. I mean, it's just bad. Not to be, I mean... <laughs> Whatever the opposite of modern times is, that's where Green Lantern yes. is. <laughs> yeah, Green Lantern is just... Uh, a lot of it has to do, like I said, with just what a waste of a potentially cool franchise mm-hmm. it was. Uh, but then there's just like all the other shit that doesn't work. You know, the, the, the... It's basically the story of this movie is they aimed too high without giving a good enough effort. Right. You you just took like a character uh, that was uh, you just put a sticker rich. on something right. and expected and it to succeed. It was based just, on okay, that. Who's, what's next in our properties? What do we have that we can make a movie of? Oh, yeah. Green okay, fuck it. Like, put it together. And it just uh, it just seems like it has like a, a, a not doesn't have a good grasp on the character when they because you have to in the, the comic book film industry you have to concede that those intergalactic mythological stories are going to do less than practical stories that's why thor although they've done well they've if you compare them to the iron man grosses they've done significantly less and yet i will bring up again guardians of the galaxy <laughs> that's true you continue to hit that on the head did yeah if you i think you, know if you do it right bradley cooper that's what went wrong with green lantern when they recast bradley cooper right? man can you imagine uh there's like this joke me and Reed, my friend Reed, have about uh, the wrestler Roman Reigns. His role was originally supposed to be played by this other wrestler named Chris Hero, who now is like wrestling an indie shows in front of 200 people and is really, really, really fat, and it's really sad. And so we joke about the alternate reality of what they switch places. So imagine this alternate reality in which uh, fucking. American Hustle starred Ryan Reynolds and <laughs> Bradley Cooper had done um, Green Lantern, although he's the still <laughs> no, wait, that was already done. He I still would have been in the Hangover Three because he signed the contract <laughs> for it. But uh, this alternate universe where fucking Bradley Cooper's just he tanked out for five years, doesn't get any Oscar nominations, and Reynolds does. Oh, man. <laughs> our friend Reed, I don't know if he'd be able to live if <laughs> that happened. Um, did you ever see Joy? The last Bradley no, Cooper no, movie? I haven't seen it yet. I, I was, it was one was that of David like Russell? two movies. Yeah, that is David oh, okay. Russell. Uh, it's, oh, it's got Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. So yeah, I, I watch and Robert De Niro. Oh, he's in it too. Yeah, De Niro was also like he's part of the ensemble now. He's he's just <laughs> he's part of part the of stable the, of uh, part of the crew. Yeah. Um, no, he. Uh, it was one of the, I think, two or three movies I didn't get to watch before the Oscars. Like this last year, I 
I, it got the closest I've ever been to watching all the major nominees. Mm -hmm. uh, but I missed Joy and I missed uh, 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 the Rocky movie. Creed? Creed. I missed Creed and I missed one more thing, I think. Mm. But overall, I mean, I did pretty well. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, it, I repeat, it's not Ryan Reynolds' fault. No. It's nobody's fault, but I, I'm going to say DC. Well, and Brothers, as whoever the executives were at the time, <laughs> putting the the cap on it with talking about Deadpool, it proves that in the right superhero movie, it can be profitable for Ryan Reynolds to be Ryan Reynolds. Right, he can carry a superhero movie, and uh, and of course they're ready. Like they're they're getting the the sequel ready and everything, and it's like that. That'll be even better. I uh, I I, I kind of wish this would have made more money, so we could have seen. Mark Strong is, is the bad guy. As the fear, dude. Yeah. As I was telling you earlier, like as I was telling you what the stuff that could that could have happened, I was getting excited because <laughs> <laughs> that's there. Really, is a, a lot of stuff that they could have done, and uh, they just I, how badly they botched this first movie is just mind blowing. It, it is. It's shocking. It literally is shocking how bad they did. Something else to keep in mind too. It looks good. Like, yeah, I mean it has like the special effects issues at times, but mm -hmm. I have I have I mean I've like never... when they're on uh, Oa, like that looks good. Like they shouldn't have done like practically when he's on Earth, Ryan Reynolds should have had an actual just fucking costume. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I imagine it's, it probably looked better if you made it today. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think one of the reasons that the Oa uh, sequences work is also because there's so much stuff that's new. You know, mm -hmm. you, when you see all those aliens with the with the rings, they're like, oh, that's really cool. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Uh, then, then, but then when you're on Earth, you're like, oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, this is just that sequence where they melt. He melts the glass and throws it at Peter Sarsgaard. He like the shot goes from him throwing something, and then there's nothing that lands on Peter Sarsgaard, <laughs> and he starts. Ah! Yeah. Sarsgaard <laughs> just reacts like the biggest thing hit him. Yeah. And he and, went for it. And I do love the we're supposed to understand that Peter Sarsgaard's character is a nerd because his first shot he's playing chess online <laughs> and he's eating tuna with Tabasco on it. Yeah, he's somebody it might already be there, say somebody should do a collection, a YouTube clip of uh of all the Peter Sarsgaard screams in the movie. They, there's so many different pitches. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he goes from like little ones, for, like when he's rolling around in bed, to just the big ones. He's getting hit by glass. Big Godzilla screams and shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not not a good movie. Um, doesn't really have much of a legacy. People just kind of like, yeah, it wasn't good. Uh, certainly not anymore because now that it used to be like, oh well, that's you know that's why you don't put Ryan Reynolds in a costume. But yeah. now it's just that's done with. So. It, it, and it is interesting, like I was saying, like because I, I didn't realize until I reviewed his filmography, but it really did. He was kind of hot shit, and then this kind of really stagnated him. And Martin Campbell hasn't; they haven't given him the keys to any kingdom since this. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey, can't come back and do another Bond movie? Nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> your your punch card's been revoked. <laughs> we changed the password. <laughs> You guys got Wi-Fi in here? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It, I don't know. It, in my brain, there were parts of it that I remembered enjoying, and then watching it with you, we didn't even get to do the unintentional comedy. No. Uh, like I said, when we were watching it, there were a couple moments when I caught a glimpse of what could have been if if Ryan Reynolds had been able to play it 
less comedically Dude, and more straight. That moment at the end where he's fending off Parallax and, and he, he does says the oath. oath. Yeah. That was so frustrating because I was like, fuck, this should have been so cool. That should have been the fuckier moment. Yeah. And instead, you're like, wow, where was this guy the entire movie? Yeah. <laughs> and so that was that was bad. And also, I wonder if they were just ill-prepared. They didn't realize that making a Green Lantern movie would have been so expensive. Because he doesn't really get to play with the ring that much. And that's mm. like the whole point of the movie. You know, he has a ring. He can do anything with the ring. And he has a couple moments when he does something cool, like the racetrack or, you know, he'll have a machine gun or whatever. But yeah. considering that you can do anything you think of with the ring, they go pretty low budget with the creations. So most <laughs> it's of like the movie, his imagination is just really weak. Right. And, and I mean, that is like one of those jokes from uh, uh, the Hall Jordan comics where he's just such a square that really all he can think of is like the big punching, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that kind of stuff. But even then, Hall Jordan was more imaginative than what ryan reynolds turns out to be here so it, it doesn't seem like it's a it's a character thing it's just a budget thing because obviously it's a lot cheaper to just have him like running around than the, the cgi guys it's like yeah yeah you know how much it costs to make a blimp let's just do a let's do a chainsaw okay hey, how, how about we repeat that effect with the punching glove so you said people like that right okay let's do All it again right, let's do that how about we take uh, shots from those planes that we did at the beginning, like the actual planes? We just call him green and we pretend that it's like his, his Green Lantern construct from the end. We'll, we'll double up. <laughs> Sarsgaard's prosthetics are setting us back too much. Um, so that was Green Lantern, uh, episode 28. So episode 29... Um, Julio, you proposed a little shop of horrors. I did, I did, because uh, uh, there was there was a demand for a musical episode. <laughs> so uh, that that works for me. It just puts us one step closer to episode thirty, in which we get to do. I know. I, I figure it was a, the perfect time to put a musical episode on because since episode thirty is just your big episode, we the, finally get to the eighteen. We'll have the sound and the fury with uh, episodes number twenty nine and thirty. Yeah, I like it. I can't wait. Like. I found myself wanting to watch it recently, and you just I'm like, kept yourself I, I'm gonna from wait. It. I'm gonna wait because I'm gonna watch it with Julio more so than Ready to Rumble. That's gonna be me turning to you every thirty seconds, being like, "Yeah, huh? Huh? <laughs> uh, there's a good chance I'll enjoy it." Uh, I, I, okay, you've never seen it before, right? I've never seen the movie before, but I was a big fan of the TV show mm-hmm. decades ago. Uh, I don't know if I would be a big fan of the TV show now. So no. who knows? Uh, no, the movie is incredible. Uh, I built it and screened it. The first reel is the opening credits. The opening credits take 20 minutes. Is there anything going on besides Oh, the, oh, okay, oh yeah. Okay, the, okay, no, okay. it's it's fucking fantastic. Um I think in the end what our podcast may just prove is that Joe Carnahan is an underappreciated <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> uh well that is also like it's a gray area, so you're going to have to decide uh if oh, you're which side to take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, but yeah, we're pretty far in the future already. We still got to get our forty-eight hours double feature. Out. Yeah. Well, by the time people listen to this, the double feature. Oh, they'll, they'll already have listened yeah, to that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So that's gonna do it for Green Lantern. Uh, you have any plugs for us this week, Julio? Uh, not plugs. You know, we have a little bit of time, so I'm gonna go on a, on a little rant. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just because. Why the fuck? I have a podcast. I can go on a rant of the podcast. <laughs> um. There is, uh, I don't know if you've been aware of the whole AMC texting thing that happened mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, 
it was just it's kind of a, a a rerun of a story that I think had Regal as a protagonist last time it happened. It's basically a movie theater chain saying, "Hey, we're thinking about having a special show times or special uh, a special auditorium that's just just for texting. So if you want to watch the movie and text while you watch the movie, this is you know then you go and see this. The, you buy the ticket for like the seven thirty show in theater ten, and that's that's the texting crowd. So so if you want to text, you do that." And so that sent people on a rage. They, you know, everybody in the industry, critics, filmmakers, other movie theater uh, owners, most notably the guy that runs the Alamo Draft House, Tim League. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he wrote like an open letter because because he did it last time. He did again this time, and which to me is just kind of hypocritical because here's the thing: one, I am, I don't text during movies. I don't pull my phone out during movies. Uh, I go to the movie theater and I watch them and whatever. And it does bother me if somebody's texting me and I can see the reflection on their, you know, their phone and all the mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but if they're going to text in an auditorium that's just for that, that's completely away from me, all the better. I don't have a problem with that. You know what I mean? Like if you if I have to choose between like you texting in my auditorium or you texting in an auditorium that's just for texting, go for it. I'm not going to go there. Nobody's forcing me to go to the 645 show in theater 10 where there will be texting i can just go to the 730 show that has no texting mm-hmm. you know what i mean like to me it, that that idea that, doesn't doesn't hurt anyone it needs it needs to indicate though that their enforcement is a lot stricter in other showings though right and they'll be even better i mean i work in a movie theater it's so much easier if you can just go hey buddy you need to go to the other show if you want to pull out your phone yeah you know because the problem is uh, when you live in a uh you know, in this society where, like, the customer's always right, you can't just, like, grab their phone and smash it and be like, well, now what are you going to do? You have to, like, give them, like, an option. And mm-hmm. what better option than saying, hey, if you really like doing this, doing this there's another show where you can actually pull out your phone. And uh, But even beyond that, it's just the whole point is, like, it doesn't bother anyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the, the existence of these texting showtimes don't bother anyone. And yet somehow everybody's like, no, why? Why are you saying that texting is okay in theaters? There, it's like they're missing the point or willfully ignoring it that that this is not going to happen anywhere near them. Even worse is when Tim Lee gets on his high horse and says, well, this is not the way the filmmakers intended the movie to be seen because, you know, whatever. Okay, the Alamo Draft House is fucking baby days. You know, are you <laughs> telling me that the filmmakers intended the movie to be watched with, like, crying babies? And I'm, I understand why they have baby With a days. big tray of fried prickles being brought right. out to you. Yeah, I mean, it makes business sense because now you're capturing, you know, that market. Just like like the texting thing makes business sense. Oh, you know, all those teenagers that like to text but don't go to the movies. Well, now they're going to go because now it's cool. They can all text together. Mm-hmm. That makes business sense. And it also makes just like humane sense because, you know, oh, you know, all those moms that can't go like watch a movie because of the kids, you know, well, now they, there's a place for them to go. You would be like the biggest asshole if you were complaining about baby days. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, well, no, because that's not the way that the filmmaker wanted. But, but for some reason, it's okay because you know, of course, it's okay to complain about texting. But basically, they're the same thing. And yet, you know, Tim Lee goes and writes this letter, and everybody's like, "Fuck yeah!" You know, he spoke and whatever. And I'm like, "Come on, guy!" It, it, it I don't mind. If you're just being honest about it, and really mm-hmm. the reason that you don't want people to text is because you just don't like them. Yeah. It's like, you know what? I don't like it. I don't want it happening at all. 
But don't give me this thing where like, oh, they're the filmmaker and the artsy reasons. You know, that, that has nothing to do with it. It just boils mm-hmm. down to they want to do it because it'll make them more money. And you don't want them to do it because you just don't like people texting in movies. Yeah. It's, it's just infuriating because there's a few times where I've actually like dipped a toe in the controversy and just being like, hey, guys, did anybody notice that it's supposed to be in like a separate auditorium that's not going to affect anybody? No replies. <laughs> because there's no reply to it. You yeah. know, there's like, that's you acknowledging that, oh, you're just getting angry, but you have no reason to be angry. So, and also, what the filmmakers intended, like, you showed Humphrey Bogart an iPhone, he probably would have shot himself just freaking out. Right. It's like, okay, if you're going to take that stance, then do not allow me to stream movies on my computer because that's not what the filmmaker was doing. The filmmaker said, hey, you're going to be in, in a, you know, dark room with a giant screen. That's how I made my movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, as a filmmaker, uh, that doesn't make a living as a filmmaker, <laughs> but still, I don't care how you're watching my movie as long as you're watching it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If being able to text while you're watching in a movie theater means that you're not going to download it and watch it illegally, all the better. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like a win-win for everybody except for the people that are just getting their panties in a bunch because they they just don't like the idea. So, well, well and then, of course, the color right to the story is like a couple days later, just the AMC guy that, that had started this thing, he just kind of like... Hey, here at AMC, we'll listen to all your complaints and we decided that okay, that's not we're not gonna do that. Aww. He completely rolled over and I'm like, Man, I was hoping you had a little bit more backbone. <laughs> I understand too now, because now you're the unpopular kid and you don't want to that's bad for business. So again, mm-hmm. it's a bad decision, a business decision, but what are you gonna do? In the end it can make more money. It's just um uh that's you know, there is a handful of people that get all up in arms about draft house like They'll fucking kick you out if you're texting. Like the PSA they play before the fucking movies is that one right, phone right. call. Or the one... Yeah, and I'm like, I'm 100% behind that. I don't have a problem with people getting kicked out for texting when they're not supposed to. Yeah. But if they're going to be allowed in the theater, that's perfect. You know, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah. So just. If we had had theaters like that five years ago, we may have had a second or a third Green Lantern movie. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Those people that were just kind of like... be there tweeting the whole time. Yeah, you just live tweet the entire movie, and then you realize that you enjoyed it more than you would have enjoyed it <laughs> if you were not live tweeting. If you had to stare at the screen and comprehend what you were watching. <laughs> just seething. Like, just your resentment growing because you've been there for two hours just hating on it. But then instead, you're having fun with your buddies. You're like, hey, do you know that Green Lantern? That's an awesome movie to watch when you're texting. <laughs> and then it has its own market. But yeah, I get I get what you're saying in terms of uh, I I don't it really does annoy me when people pull their phones out and shit when I'm at the theater, but uh, that'd be a good way to isolate that type of situation, and it would potentially make more money for filmmakers and theaters. Well, you know, in the future when we have the contrarians chain of theaters, we'll just you know a couple auditorium will be like just for for texting, and I'll be okay. The contrarians theaters were just. We don't have any morning shows other than Blue is the Warmest Color. <laughs> That's what you have to see first thing in the morning. That takes up the morning. That, that does. And then Green Lantern. Green Lantern Thursdays. <laughs> uh, and, of course, Empire Records sing along. Every Sunday night. Absolutely. Um. So, yeah, uh, that was Julio's Corner. <laughs> It doesn't happen every episode, so chill out. <laughs> uh, as always, the Festive Years, uh, their album "Don't Let Me Use You" uh, for their opening or our opening and outro songs. Always appreciate that. Um, I don't really know of too much to plug. WrestleMania is over. 
So so life has no meaning again. Exactly. So it's about 10 months of nothingness again. So uh, no, nothing else really outside of that that sticks out as something that I need to plug. Definitely not Batman versus Superman. Is this the first time we've recorded since we saw it? I think it's the first time we've recorded it. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm torn about like how much I want to say about it. I mean, it's been long enough, and certainly it'll be like even longer by the time that this goes posted. Because but we can save it for potential. It would it be a gray area episode, or is it? I don't know what it's. Oh no, it's right in now. the shit. It's in the thirties. Yeah, well, it's one of the things where like I feel like if we were gonna do a movie, it wouldn't. It almost feels like Batman vs Superman is too easy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's like, true. But then I think, oh no, because we're supposed to say nice things about it. But then it's also too easy because there are people that will hardcore defend it. And and so it, it's it's quite fascinating because I've met people like that, and it's like they know it's bad, but they still paid to see it, but, and they're like, "Fuck it, I'm sticking to my guns. It, exactly, it was worth it." Yeah, uh, yeah, which it's I, not. It's it's not uh, okay. Let's get it out of the way. I didn't like it, but of course, I didn't dislike it as much as as Alex. Uh, it got to a point within the last hour where it became fun because it was so bad. Right. When it became fun to you, that's around the time that I completely disengaged from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it was still, it was fun. My uh, mother needs me. God, yeah. Even before that, I think. That's, uh, but it's, it, it just, I don't know. I, I, I had, it really, it just did away with any sort of, positive expectations i had of future Zack snyder movies set in the dc universe dude he uh, peaked it, with watchmen it's the closest thing to a good movie he's ever gonna make i think that it, it's kind of like with uh, i've told you this story of uh me watching uh, star wars episode one mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends hated it and i was like you know it's not so bad because it's setting up cool cool things for the awesome sequel and that was me with man of steel you know i thought man of steel it wasn't perfect so this is like but, your episode two Yes, Batman vs Superman is my Attack of the Clones, <laughs> I, where I just everything I was hoping it would do to fix the things that were wrong with Man of Steel, instead it just took a shit on them, <laughs> and it just it just did even worse. It just it's worse than I could have expected it to be. I have not even the people that do like you know gung ho is good. I have not found anyone who can defend the plot point by which Batman and Superman become friends. The, the, I mean, fuck it, spoil it, because by now... I, I, Their moms have the same name. Yes, and it's just really stupid. Uh, <laughs> it's just offensive. Why did you say that name? <laughs> That's his mom's name. What? <laughs> That's actual dialogue from the movie. <laughs> uh, God, I hope that by now... I would feel bad still spoiling that for somebody. But, you know, if you haven't watched Batman vs. Superman by now, mm-hmm. then obviously you didn't care that much to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Embargo, man. Nolan <laughs> fucked up the game for everybody. No one should have been allowed to touch Batman for 10 years. <laughs> and now, like, eh, I guess I'll... No, no, I still... Suicide I still, Squad, I, I... And I still have hopes for, like, Affleck's solo Batman movie. Because Zack Snyder's not doing that. That's Ben Affleck on Cro- his own. CrossFit Batman? Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, there is... Okay, here's the other side of the coin. There are things I liked in Batman vs. Superman. It's just that they're overpowered by all the things I didn't like. Yeah, that's true. But Batman, Ben Affleck as Batman, that was not something that I disliked. That was something I liked most of the time. And that's something that I could see working really well 
on its own. I mean, I see a lot of people upset just at this depiction of Batman. Like, well, Batman doesn't kill and Batman doesn't do that, whatever. Okay, that's in the same category as saying, like, well, Hal Jordan is not, like, this goofball. You well, it's know? also those people can't defend Tim Burton's Batman movies either because Batman, like, kills a bunch right, of people. Right, right. He's just as much of a – you know, I mean, in this one, oh, he's, like, a little further off the deep end. But that's, like, this is an older Batman. It's mm-hmm. very well established by now. Like, the Joker's killed, like, one Robin and he's having psychotic dreams and all mm-hmm. this stuff. So – I'll go with that. If that's the Batman that you want to have in your movie, that's cool. But then that, have that movie and be good. Jeremy Irons doing his Tim Robbins where he's on set for six hours and <laughs> let's get this out of the way. Where do I cash my check? <laughs> Someone take me to the liquor store. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... I think the biggest villain in that film... Is Zack Snyder. <laughs> is Diane Lane's agent. Oh, yeah. that Well, she had probably... like She probably signed up for sequels when she did Man of Steel. But even in Man of Steel, she's like just made to look the fool, too. Not I just hope... Movie. I hope she's in the next one so she is Bradley Cooper in Hangover 3 where every scene just screams, <laughs> get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> She'd be like, you haven't seen the second Thor movie, right? No. Uh, and you don't care to watch it. No. Right? Okay, yeah. They kill Rene Russo off... Uh, oh, really? Kind of early. And... Uh, and that also feels like Ryan Russo saying, okay, I'm out of here. Just write me out. I don't care. It was cool for one movie, but I'm not doing this any longer. Man, Thor, the first Thor movie is so good. But I remember after that, I was like, well, Avengers is already going to disappoint me. and Because um, that, that was like a Zack Snyder thing. Because the fucking Thor ends, he destroys the portal to get back to Earth. And then in the movie, it's just like, oh, yeah, well, we fixed it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why, but yeah. trust me. Trust me. It was hard. <laughs> Took a lot of man hours. I think Avengers gets away with that because it's just so, like, charming. Mm-hmm. The, the cast. And it's the, cute. Like, it, it's cute. It's cute. So you, you'll forgive a lot of things. Uh, Batman vs. Superman, not cute at all. No. no. Batman vs. Superman is just grim and unpleasant. And I am down with that if the movie's good. Mm-hmm. I can take that tone. A, a lot of people just didn't like the tone from the beginning. I'm down with, with angry Batman and uh, a Superman that's not charismatic and like all that stuff if it's really like doing something. And for a while in the movie, it looks like they're going to try to explore some things, you know? I really like this whole questioning in the movie about is Superman a force of good or should we be afraid of him or whatever. But the way that they resolve this in the movie is just like a big fight yeah. that has absolutely no reason to happen. And mm-hmm. uh, it, that's, yeah, that's just like... Uh, and Wonder Woman uses an ATM. <laughs> 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 and... Goddamn fucking Ezra Miller is the Flash. He's just up to set up the next three movies. And Bruce Wayne prepares a PowerPoint for Wonder Woman <laughs> review of the Justice League. <laughs> oh, it's it's something else. Um, but yeah, it made me want to go back and watch Man of Steel. No, Watchmen. I'm not gonna fucking watch Man of Steel again. Everyone's immediate argument: Zack Snyder, The Dawn of the Dead was good, and it was like, yeah, you should probably rewatch it. It. I I watched it once, but I liked it a lot. It's I, good. Watchmen is as close to a good thing as he'll ever make because that was the only thing where he had kind of his hands completely in the pie in terms of what he was making, uh, but still had a constru- constructed story already there to go by. Right, that's what when I was... he doesn't have a constructed story <laughs> and has all his fingers in the pie. Sucker punch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of those will be. See, I, I think that if we're doing. A Zack Snyder movie, it'll be Sucker Punch or Watchmen or, you know, not Batman or Superman because it's, it's too easy. Yeah, it's too easy. Everybody's already 
you know, I mean, it would be fun to just like, but here's the thing. First off, we Problem have to be is, willing. I have to watch it again. Exactly. We have to be willing to sit through <laughs> Three it Three hours. Yeah. And for fucking, just, just to wait for fucking Superman's Amish funeral at the end. <laughs> 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 and for people who have seen it, uh, our friend Reed pointed out the best part of the movie is Lawrence Fishburne. No matter how many people are dying <laughs> or like the famine that's going on, all he cares about is Clark Kent reporting on the local high school football game. I, I retweeted a tweet that pointed that out. They're like, man, he's the worst newspaper editor <laughs> in the world. Uh, also, if you've seen it, uh, there was... So Alex lost it when... Uh, when was it that you... Oh, yeah, I, I need to go... My mom needs my help. My mother needs yeah, me. Yeah, my mom needs me is when you laughed. And yeah. then I actually kept it together until the very end when it's Superman funeral is happening. And uh, and then the cannons shoot or the whatever, and you just see the shells fall in slow motion. I was like, <laughs> fuck this. It's just too much. Come on, Zack Snyder. You need to give the slow motion like a rest. And it's then just... Bruce Wayne says... I failed him in life. I won't fail him in death. It's like, motherfucker, you were trying to kill him like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, there's people who thought it was great. My favorite part was when Wonder Woman showed up and the theater we were in started clapping. And I know, our friend I know, Reed know. turned around and goes, don't don't applaud that. <laughs> uh, apparently, it wasn't like an isolated incident. I don't know if there was this. Uh, Did no one see the trailer? Because like that shot is in, from. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, but I think they were waiting for it. But I, I, I saw. Why did she use the lasso of truth on Doomsday? <laughs> So you could like grumble. What, what was he? Yeah. Uh, no, somebody else made the point. Maybe it was. I ran over a man in Dearborn, Michigan. Yeah, I know. I remember if it was like Kelly or someone else that said like, "Why didn't he just give the spear to Wonder Woman?" Because Wonder Woman, obviously, how did he know that they were looking for the spear? That too. Yeah, there's so many wrong things. I mean, you talk about Green Lantern taking storytelling shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Man of No Man of Steel. Uh, Batman vs Superman is it's even worse probably because uh, it's longer and. It does Nastier. feature Zack Snyder's favorite trope, though. Uh, unnecessary close-ups of sweaty abs. <laughs> Which is good in the sense of, like, look, good for him because he's he, what what the superhero genre is, is used to is just, like, this Kimberly dress women like we addressed in, in this episode. You know, Carol Danvers, she keeps her clothes on the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and Zack Snyder does a, the Green Lantern one better. He's just, well, undress the men. That's right. And... and uh, and I'll just I'll have the dude that shot that you laughed. That was the first time you laughed, I think, right? Uh, when Where he's uh, like super- making bacon and right? he's like got his shirt <laughs> yeah. off with a towel around. Oh, it's fucking Snyder, man! Superman's making breakfast and you just—it's get only to- a shot like of his pecs down to his waistline. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's it's hilarious. Like- um, and then yeah, but we have that really odd and somehow shockingly not sexy uh, shot of Amy Adams in a bathtub. It's like you have this gorgeous woman in a bathtub. You know, you think this would be hot, and it's just like really. If we were doing a contrarian episode, I would tell you, Alex, that that's just him, like going against the trend. He's just trying to <laughs> shake things up and make it so the men are the sexy ones, and not the women. And again, completely fine with that if it was a better movie. <laughs> uh, but it's not. It, it's not. Uh, Made one, a lot of, it, one more, one more. Ben Affleck training, you know, for his fight. Where he's it. like with the with the big giant tire uh-huh. and like just like again, it's just Affleck like modeling his abs and all this stuff. <laughs> it's just there's only like him's doing the the pull ups and shit like that. It's yeah, the hashtag not my Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, and Jesus, we we do need to do a podcast on this because we haven't even talked about Jesse Eisenberg. Yet. <laughs> 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 but uh no suicide squad i 
much like when it was announced, I'm going into it solely. Uh, I I, I want to enjoy it, and you know, Will Smith doing something where he's not the lead is always intriguing to me. But also Margot Robbie. As That's Harley what I was going to say. Margot Robbie. As I've gone from like not caring to like really liking what she's doing just from I've, the trailers I've seen. Because mm-hmm. uh, before that, I'd only seen her in. Uh, yeah, she didn't do much with Wolf of Wall Street. Right, that movie right. Didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I saw the trailers and I'm like, that's really cool. I, I don't know. I'm not as familiar with the with the Harley Quinn character, mm-hmm. either from the comics or the animated series, but I have a vague idea what she's like mm-hmm. just from playing the video games and stuff. And uh, it, even if she's being completely deviating from what the character is in comics and the animated sh- series, I like what she's doing in the trailer. I, I think yeah. that she's a fun character. She looks like she'll have a lot of fun. The Harley Quinn thing in the lore and the hallowed grounds of nerd film casting it was always Brittany Murphy was who everyone always well, wanted to be. Guys, Harley. that's not going to happen. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, much like it's Solid Snake has always been Hugh Jackman, if that ever happens. But Well, I mean, that could happen. He's, potentially. He's, he's getting up there, though. He'd have to be Old Man Snake these days. But, uh, yeah, so <sighs> after Brittany Murphy died, I remember the, just the nerd outcry, like, no. <laughs> um but I was more like, no, that's sad. She died like of <laughs> <Right>. a broken <laughs> life. Um, but yeah, I mean, Margot Robbie, it looks like she gets it based on the trailers and stuff. And uh, with Jared Leto, uh, it goes back to what I was talking about with Nolan. It's like, I, I'm not doubting his ability. It's just like, you can't do something perfectly and then expect it the next recreation of it to be met with open arms. Which is why I like that it's so different. At least it looks like it's going to be so different because if he was trying to just emulate what what Ledger did, then they'd be fucked. Mm -hmm. But at least here, if he... If he blows it, it's not going to be that he blew it because he wasn't trying anything new. You can always give him that. It was like, hey, at least he was doing something else. I was really disappointed he didn't have the Cesar Romero, like, <laughs> the have the mustache painted white. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's get on out of here. We've droned on enough about superhero movies and whatnot. And the cool thing is, like, I can just, like, when, when I post the episode, I'll be like, by the way, the last 15 minutes, spoilers for Batman vs. Superman. <laughs> we, we get it out of our system. Yes. Um, but yes, Jesse Eisenberg is Jodie Foster and Cosmo Kramer's <laughs> love child. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, any other plugs? Anything like that? No, that that was it. That was my rant. Was my plug for the day. okay? And then I have a plug for our musical episode, but I'll wait until it's thematically relevant. Gotcha. All right. So uh, in that case, that is going to do it. Um, brightest day, darkest night. No evil shall escape our sight. I don't even remember how the rest of it goes. Uh, something like uh, my Green Lantern's light. Green Lantern's light. Yes, that moment, dude. <laughs> I wanted. I, I, I am with you. I wanted so much to be really. It should pumped. have been awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it just didn't happen. Well, Mr. Reynolds, we're glad you're back on top of the world. Welcome back. <laughs> All right, so that's not gonna, like he was ever like in any. He was still having sex with Scarlett Johansson, like Blake you, Lively. Yeah, like, so, like you pointed out his life even at his shittiest performance like whenever his, his shittiest day is better than my best day <laughs> exactly he's still probably making a lot of money he has gorgeous women surrounding him he looks it, the way he does he looks great I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he can get arby's anytime he wants yes so you know what now i'm starting to resent him for that pool <laughs> <Deadpool. laughs> fuck him <laughs> yeah i fuck. hope the sequel bombs <laughs> fuck you ryan reynolds <laughs> 
All right. So that's going to do it for this episode here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's summer of 